Welcome to Through the Bible with Pastor Michael, a podcast from First Baptist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma. Here's Pastor Michael. Well, good morning. We are um, continuing our read through the Bible together, and we are today in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 4, 5, and 6, along with Psalm 18. So uh, let's get to our observations from today. You know, one of the hard things in going to the Gospels is there's so much there. Now, one of the things I like about this reading plan is that we're going through books of the Bible pretty quickly, and so you're able to get the big picture. Uh, it is a little hard, though, um, when you're looking at chapters that have so much insight and so many words and, and miracles of Jesus to try to limit our thoughts. But uh, here we go. Five observations from today. Number one, Jesus is constantly teaching and directing people to focus on spiritual realities. This is one of the things that I just don't understand about modern day preaching. So much preaching in churches today is is just so man-centered and so worldly. And, and when you look at what Jesus is doing, he, he connects with people, sure. He uses illustrations, he uses parables, he uses common everyday things to help them to understand, absolutely. But he's trying to get their attention off of the, the small temporal earthly and not to be focused on that and fixated on that. But he'll use earthly examples to help people connect with a spiritual principle. That's the focus of his preaching. He talks about sin and repentance and heaven and hell and glorying in, in salvation and loving the Lord. And he's constantly trying to get people to focus on spiritual realities. That's one of the things that's hard for us to do because our lives tend to be so consumed with with the here and now, but what we want to do in our Bible reading, in our prayer life, and when we go to church to worship, um, we want to remind ourselves that it's the life to come that matters most. Great is your reward in heaven. Uh, the spiritual realities are what are the most important. Secondly, Jesus calms the storm, and the apostles are astonished. Uh, they are amazed at what he does. In chapter 4, verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love that question. Who, who then is this? Who is this man, Jesus? What a great question for us to consider. Um, and, and what an important question to make sure we know the answer to it, that we know who Jesus is. A third observation is that Jesus heals the daughter of Jairus and charged them not to, to spread the news. You know, this is one of my favorite miracles that Jesus does. Um, you've got Jairus, this, this synagogue leader who is risking everything to come and publicly um, surrender himself to, to believing in who Jesus is. And... Jesus agrees to go with him to his house. And you can just imagine the, the, the pace that Jairus wants to move at, knowing his little girl is, is near death. 
And then this other lady interjects herself into the situation, and, and she also, expressing her faith in Jesus, asks him to heal her, or at least reaches out to him in, in faith so that he would heal her. And I think Jairus would be glad that that lady got healed. I think Jairus would be glad that this lady who has suffered so much is now able to, to be made whole, but not if it comes at the cost of his daughter. And while Jesus stops and is interacting with this other lady, the little girl, Jairus' little girl, dies. Jesus, undeterred, still goes to the house and he doesn't allow anyone else to go into the room except the the few apostles with him and then mom and dad. And he takes the little girl by the hand and he says those well-known words, Talitha kum, which translated would mean, uh, little lamb, I say to you, arise. And he brings her back to life and it's just the most amazing miracle. And then, though, Jesus ends that in chapter 5, verse 43, and he strictly charged them that they should, that no one should know this. How, how are they going to do that? How are they going, how is that not going to be the first thing they talk about every single day for the rest of their life? And, and, and it's this, it's what we call in, in our, our gospel readings the messianic secret that that there was a time, a proper time, when Jesus was wanting people to um, see him as Messiah and spread the word as Messiah. But what you have to understand is that in the day in which Christ came, the their desire for a Messiah was all about, again, the temporal. They wanted the Messiah who would bring them into the, the kind of freedom they wanted. Political freedom, military freedom. Um, economic power, uh, usher in the golden age. They didn't want a cross. Uh, they didn't want sacrifice. They didn't want repentance. We talked about that yesterday. They just wanted the Messiah on their terms. And so Jesus often in the Gospels will say something like, my time has not come, my hour has not come. Uh, he'll perform a miracle and tell people to, to not tell anyone. Um, he wanted to be known as a healer of souls, not just a healer of bodies. He will heal bodies, and he will do these miracles, and it shows people who he is. It, it, it confirms uh, his, his authority as the Son of God. But he did not want to be known merely as a healer of bodies. He was a healer of souls, a savior of souls. At the triumphal entry, when you get to Mark 11... Um, and, and the people say, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they, and they are giving this praise to him, he, he lets it go. He, he doesn't say, hey, stop that. He doesn't say, hey, don't tell anyone, because the time was right. The time was then. But he tells, in, in this miracle, not, not to say anything. And it, it would just be the hardest thing in the world for these parents to not make that the leading part of their conversation every day. But he wanted the focus to be on the work he was doing, not just on the miracles he provided. Um, fourthly, the people of his own hometown reject Jesus. Uh, in chapter 6, he goes and, and he is um, 
ministering there, and it says in verse 2, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Um, they they see the authority that Jesus speaks with and, and his claims, and they say, Who does this guy think he is? Who does this man think he is? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? In other words, we know this guy. He grew up here. And even though they never saw him sin and they never saw him do anything that was wrong, because of their familiarity with him, they, they, they don't want anything to do with him. Not, not as a Savior anyway, not as Messiah. And they say, who does this man think he is? We know who this guy is. Isn't this Mary's son? And, you know, scholars are, are unsure on this. When, when it says in verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Um, some take that that that's a slight that that's just a reminder publicly of saying uh, we're not going to mention Joseph's name because we remember the story of how um, your mother Mary was pregnant uh, before her marriage was complete with Joseph and um, and Joseph's not your real father. Um, some think that's a, a slight at trying to continually question uh, the character of his family. But they go on to say, is this not the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. Remember, um, his own family, his own siblings weren't believing in him at this point. They weren't believing in his claims at this point. And so the, the crowd of his hometown here reminds them, we know who your siblings are. They think you're out of your mind. They think that, that, you, that you're not who you say you are either. We know your family. We know your background. We know who you are. And it's amazing the level of rejection in his own hometown. And then fifthly, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men. Um, that's recorded for us in Mark. And that's the only miracle that Jesus performed that's in all four Gospels. Um, the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children is the miracle that Jesus did that, that's recorded in all of the four Gospels. So let's get to some application. Number one, long-term belief and faithfulness is our assurance of true conversion. In chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the soils. And um, it's often called the parable of sower. It's really about the soil. It's really about the different kinds of soil the seed falls in. But there are all kinds of people who appear for a little bit to be converted. Uh, there are people who tend to be very enthusiastic. Um, they they seem to get saved and they get very involved in everything. Then they, they quickly are gone. There are pastors and preachers and authors and conference speakers and musicians who who seem to be converted and have this, this really large following. And then after a while, they, they prove that they are not truly converted. The, the great example, the great lesson application from the first part of chapter 4 is that it's long-term belief and it's long-term obedience and faithfulness to Christ that is our greatest assurance of salvation. Um, watch people's life. Uh, one of my uh, mentors often is known to say that time and truth go hand in hand. Give enough time, truth gets exposed. Um, even this day for you, make sure that today you love Jesus, that you're faithful to him, that you believe the gospel. That's our greatest 
assurance that we've truly been converted. Secondly, sometimes the hardest calling is to stay and share the gospel with those who know our worst days. Um, uh, th this is hard. I, having preached through the gospel of Mark, um, each one of these chapters is several sermons, and now we're doing three at a time, and it's really difficult to, to just quickly go through this. But um, in chapter 5, verse 19, after Jesus heals this man, the man wants to go with Jesus. He, he wants to be with him, and it makes sense. Not only that he would want to be with Jesus who has healed him, but also that he would want to get away from from his hometown. He's been known as this man who walks around the cemeteries and he walks around unclothed and he cuts himself with with stone and, and he was just a madman. He was just out of his mind. And now Jesus has healed him. And the man in verse 15 is sitting there clothed and in his right mind. He's been totally transformed. So he wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus gets in the boat to leave, and the man gets in the boat to go with him. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not going with me. In verse 19 of chapter 5, he did not permit him, but he said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That can be the hardest calling of all, is to stay. Stay and go back to your own family and go back to your own friends who know you best, who know your worst days, who know the worst parts of you, who knew you when you weren't walking with the Lord, who, who knew you when your life wasn't full of belief. And, and don't leave, don't go. Sometimes the Lord calls us to stay there and to share the gospel and to be the, the picture of true conversion and true transformation from the grace of God. So we see this sometimes with people who uh, maybe in junior high and high school weren't believers and they lived a, a life of rebellion. Then they get saved, and everyone in town's like, what are you talking about? You're a Christian. Aren't you the same guy who did this thing and did that thing? And sometimes you, you want to leave and get away from your past. But sometimes Jesus calls people to stay. Stay right where you are. And go and tell people how much the Lord has done for you. Sometimes the hardest calling of all is that calling to stay. Third, our most pressing needs serve to drive us to Jesus. I'm thinking here of Jairus, this synagogue ruler who is risking everything to go publicly and, and, and profess his trust and faith in Jesus as Messiah. But that need he had of his daughter near death drove him to Jesus. Drove him to Jesus. And, and I would just say for you today that the same thing can be true for us. That those very difficult needs and circumstances in our life are there to drive us to Jesus. The needs that exist in your life are there to prove the power of trusting in Jesus. Fourth, um, th th this is something that always strikes me when I read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 men. Um, and I just want to point this out. That organization and calm leadership helps us guide people in times of chaotic circumstances. And this is just a small thing, and, and, and at the risk of, I don't want us to miss the point of the miracle, but I do think this is a detail that's worth noticing, particularly for those of us who are parents or teachers or pastors or in any kind of spiritual leadership at all. Uh, in, in Mark 6, verse 39, it's just a small detail. 
when he had, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm in the wrong, in chapter 6, verse 39, he's feeding the 5,000 men and the women and children. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Now, why do I even point this out? Well, this is a chaotic scene. You've got 5,000 men. You've got women and children. So scholars tell us as many as 20, maybe even 25,000 people total are there. They're hungry. It's getting late. They're tired. They've, they've gone away from home to, to go meet up with Jesus. They're, you've got a huge group of starving people, and they're getting kind of antsy, and it's getting chaotic. And what Jesus does is he has his disciples organize the people and to have them seated in groups of 50 and 100. Why? Because he's about to do this miracle of, of feeding all these thousands of people from just one boy's small lunch, and he takes time to organize the people so the apostles can then take the food and in an organized way feed the crowd. It's just a small detail, but I do think it's worth noticing that the organization... And the, and the calm leadership here helps in times of chaotic circumstances. When the leaders are panicked, everybody's panicked. When the leaders are, are unsure and, and the leaders are, are antsy and nervous, everybody follows that way. What God's people need and what households need are leaders who are, are strong and courageous, faithful, trusting in the Lord, and have a true, calm assurance about what the Lord is doing. So it's just kind of a small application here, but I do think it's one worth noticing. If you're a boss, if you're a parent, if you're a business leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a Sunday school teacher, when, when things are difficult, when, when people are looking to you for leadership, calm, measured organization helps us to lead people spiritually. Um, and then fifthly, I'm thinking here of chapter 6, verse 46, uh, where it says of Jesus that um, he went up on the mountain to pray. Prayer happens when prayer is a priority. Prayer needs to be a priority in our life. If you only pray in the emergencies, then, then prayer is not a priority. If you only pray when you're frightened and scared, everybody does that. Even unbelievers will, will voice some kind of prayer if they get panicked enough. True, powerful prayer happens when prayer is a priority. You've got to take time for it. You set aside time for it. It's a, it's a discipline in your life. It's a joy, yes, to commune with the Father, but, but it's also a discipline that you build into your life Powerful prayer happens when prayer is a priority. And then finally, our summary from Psalm 18. Those who love the Lord know Him as the greatest gift, but for the wicked, they will know Him as a consuming fire and a final judge. If you know the Lord and, and you've been saved by His grace, you know that He's the greatest gift ever given. But for the wicked, they will know Him as a consuming fire and as their final judge. So as we often think about, we don't ever want to be envious of the wicked. We know how that ends for them. Don't be envious of the wicked. Instead, receive Christ as your Savior. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then seek to spend your days 
uh, in faithful communion with the Lord and in fervent evangelism with those who need to know him. All right, hope that helps. Enjoy the reading today. We're getting through the Gospel of Mark pretty quickly, and uh, I hope that you take time to just be amazed at the person and the work and the ministry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great day.